Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. Today on the show, we have something new. I have uh, never covered the world of sports betting before, but this is an interesting one and a little bit different than the norm, that's for sure. And to talk about the company Prediction Strike, I have their CEO and co-founder, Devin Hurt. Prediction Strike is a sports betting platform that treats athletes like stock, essentially. And uh, to talk about what that means and how it works, I've brought them on. So here's my interview with Devin. Devin, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jason, and thank you all for listening. So my first guy in the sports gambling arena, but I thought, hey, if you're treating them like stocks, that, co- that technically constitutes fintech. So let's get into it. So tell us about Prediction Strike. Thank you. So Prediction Strike is kind of, as you implied, it's a, it's a sports stock market that allows users to buy and sell shares of athletes as if they were stocks. So that's kind of to the point you mentioned, we want it to feel like, feel like a stock market. We want people to be able to get away from that. I'm betting it's all or nothing. This is kind of like an element of chance. We want people to start to feel like I'm investing in a player's career or I'm using my sports knowledge as an investment. And so that's Prediction Strike. Excellent. All right. So tell me about your history and how Prediction Strike came to be. So I guess my relevant background is I graduated from Harvard in 2018 with a degree in bioengineering. You say relevant? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Bioengineering. There we go. Bioengineering. I ended up doing more computer science things. Towards the end there, I started working in sports more. So I ended up working for Nike for two years, actually, as we were starting Prediction Strike. I did some consulting for the NBA. And sports were just fun, right? Always been a sports fan. But kind of on my way out of out of college, um, it was right around graduation season. My best friend and co-founder, Brad, and I were talking and we we're just just talking about life, you know, things that are going on. At that point, it was the NBA finals, but also I think like Walmart stock was down or something like that just at the time. And Brad kind of came back with, well, I just wish I could put my money in LeBron. And we're like, okay. Don't we all? But anyway, right? it's like, wait, <laughs> hold on, time out, time out. What if, what if you could? Hmm. So that's how we started building Prediction Strike. So uh, that was kind of as I was graduating, ended up working at Nike for two years, doing cybersecurity there. It's a great experience. Then left to do Prediction Strike full time and kind of here we are. Excellent. So uh, I'm going to put my money on LeBron. There you go. So, so talk to me about how Prediction Strike works and how it's different from other sports betting options out there. Yeah. So when you think about sports betting, I guess you kind of have this all or nothing wager most of the time. Either this event happens or it doesn't. Prediction Strike is meant to mimic the stock market, which at least in the States is classified as betting, but it's kind of a low risk bet. And there's some legal history. If you really want to dive down that Google rabbit yeah, hole. I think there's actually a proof or there's it's the old, de- I'm going to interject here. It's the old debate. Is it a ch- game of chance or is it a game of skill, right? And those two paradigms determine whether or not something's actually gambling or not. And sports betting actually does lean towards the games of skill side of the equation. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. And it's of course, you know, how much risk is involved in that and and things kind of to that to that effect. But the way prediction strike works is we said, look, let's simplify the actual stock market. So how does the stock market work? Well, the real market works based on bid and ask and people, you of course selling shares to someone else or corporations and hedge funds selling shares, yada, yada, yada. But we said that's kind of difficult for people to understand. And, and it makes it very hard when you have very few users because we were just starting with a beta of our friends. So you can't really have an illiquid market. That's not going to work very well. So we, we said, okay, we need to simplify these concepts even more. So first we said, okay, game performer tests have an effect. They're athletes that play games. That only matters. So we decided to treat each game like, like an earnings report. And, each, um, and a, a simplified version of an earnings report is if a company beats on earnings, then their share price increases. And if they miss their, their share price will decrease. So we said, okay, 
what is their quote unquote earnings projection? Well, it's their fantasy projection. How's the player expected to do in that game? If they do better than that, then their, their value has increased, right? They do less than that. Their value has decreased. So they're not playing within their value. So and that's a lot of commonly accepted benchmarks for what, you know, how you score based on fantasy, right? So that's okay. makes a lot of sense. So that was one half of it. The other half was, well, we said, okay, we can't have true supply and demand and, and bid and ask and order books, but we need to measure how many people care in some way. So the other is just, are people buying or selling the shares of these players? And the more people are buying shares, that'll increase the price. The more people are selling shares, that'll decrease the price. So talk to me about how initially with the getting off the ground, you mentioned can't have an illiquid market. So do you guys essentially be play the role of market maker based off of whatever algorithm that says, okay, this person's whatever Tom Brady's starting off worth, like say five bucks a share, his earnings report, his performance that, you know, that uh, game was in excess of his predicted behavior, you know, predicted score by like 10%. So that equals a 50% increase to the stock price. So are you guys kind of standing in the middle right now as kind of a market maker traditionally to stand and make sure that that price clears around that level? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what we do right now. Um, that'll change in the near future, but you have it exactly right. And you, it would just be no fun um, to have an illiquid market. We started as yep. a beta with just like our 12 friends in a fantasy football league. Which is what a lot of athletes to spit across 12 friends, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we supported that first year we did NFL and NBA. So quite a few athletes. (laughs) So we're just like, okay, no, we, something needs to be a market maker here. So that's, uh, we have stepped in as that and kind of for now until that uh, we make that transition. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right? As the volume of users increases, you'll be able to step back from that altogether, right? And then that'll be that'll be interesting because then you know the lack of predictability around some of these things. You'll have you know bench players trading at a dollar that basically end up growing by by like a five bucks in one game, right? So most definitely, and I mean that's part of the fun of it. The I think the fan perception of athletes is so funny in how that matches up with either how the fan how the players actually play. And sometimes it doesn't like there's guys like, I know I can think of like Alex Caruso or taco fall on the NBA side. who have these huge cult followings just kind of cause, and they're like, not neither of them start. I think Caruso starts like now, but neither of them, you know, they, they have, they're not starters. They're not all stars, right? They're, <laughs> they're just guys. I'm going to age myself into this is why Sandy Alomar Jr. made the all-star game every year when I was a kid. And there were so many catchers who had better stats. He had the brand and that was it. That's exactly what it is. And I mean, and if you're kind of, if we look at this from a pure business point of view, I mean, that matters a lot, right? If, If you need to sell jerseys, fill seats, I don't know, sell whatever posters, whatever. Yes. You care how good the player is because those things are somewhat tied together. But if you can have a player who's not that good, who you probably can get for a cheaper contract who can also like put butts in seats. That's, that's about as good as it gets right there. Well, it's just it. I mean, it's also going back to the stock market piece of this. I think back to like, that's also the opportunity for the, you know, we'll call those the small cap, the micro cap stocks of the universe. Right. I think back to like, if you had, if this had existed back before Jeremy Lin had his run in New York, right. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have picked up on that guy? Right. And then, then you pick up on him and it would have gone higher and higher and eventually plateaued and gone back down. But you know, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Sports cities, right? Like I'm from Long Island. So no New York fandom. Like it's <laughs> no, like that was one of the craziest periods of my sports life. Just like mm-hmm. insanity. And I can't even imagine what his stock would have been like. It would have been like, I really can't, <laughs> you know, it would have been like GameStop was six months ago, whenever that was, you know, we would have seen that. Absolutely. And- <laughs> 
That's interesting. I mean, it's funny because I mean, you can you think about the dynamics of it now. You got to, and you probably always will need to play the, the role of market maker for players that have liquidity below a certain level. Bench players who no one knows their first name outside of their city, right? Like that's that's basically it, right? You'll always have to do that, maybe. But you know, yeah. anyone who's starting should probably be should should be fine. And that said, it's again, those are the highly speculative ones. But I, I start to think like back to your comment about GameStop. Yeah, it's like. The signature players like LeBron's or whatever, they're going to basically command a premium price because it's like, yeah, maybe maybe my my earnings yield will not be as high, but maybe the consistency of said earnings will be higher. And yeah, so like it'll be interesting to see how the behavior around this pans out. And I can already tell that if you if you make a really good run of this and gain a lot of volume. Man, you're gonna have some academics knocking on your door and trying to understand market market dynamics utilizing your system. It's been so interesting for us to watch from a sports fan perspective, from a kind of purely academic perspective and a business perspective at the same time. It's like, what really controls? And, you know, on, on some level, this is trying to predict human behavior, right? Yeah. We you know, I think LeBron is maybe the not interesting case in that mm. right? he's, he's LeBron. We know he's, he's a safe bet. Right. You know, that's your Amazon. He's the blue chip. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, the Google or what ExxonMobil was for, for, you know, forever. That's what LeBron is. And that's, that's kind of cool. And, you know, we get it, but it's, just, it's really like, even just in that second tier down, it's just, it's all over the place with how much people believe in these athletes and how, and what can change that. Right. Is it just one bad game? Are people now saying, okay, they had one bad game. So now they won't have a bad game or is it, they had one bad game. Maybe they're starting to get washed up. You know, how many bad games does it take before it's like, maybe like he's not as good as I thought it was. And like you said, just like people, you know, in your city, uh, a lot of my friends from back home are Jets and Giants fans. The amount of random like Jets and Giants players who get traded like from my friends is spectacular. And it's just because they're so dialed into that. Like that hometown effect is real or just have like, you, have you, have you asked people who are users, like what college teams they cheer for? Cause I got to figure that like, there's going to be some of that bitterness that carries on when some of those, like no Michigan fans going to want to basically buy the Ohio state like player once he gets to the pros. Right? It's like, right. yeah, he plays that team, but I ain't buying him. To that point, something that's come up a lot is ETFs broadly, of course, you know, that's just interesting. More Sorry. Like doing pools of, of, of athletes. Then? Is that yes, exactly. Yeah. And one of the ones that came like comes up actually a good amount is colleges, like the big football colleges. Well, I mean, basketball also similar. There's like 15 schools where a lot of these guys come from like that. That could be really interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to see like which college dominates. I don't know which one had, had the most fans or the most fervent fans. We'll find out. Well, that's interesting because you have the ability technically. I mean, you guys started saying like, I'd like to just put my money on one person, but theoretically, Right. There's nothing. There's no reason why you can't do your, like you said, your ETFs. Right. I can buy the entire team, or I can buy, I can buy an entire division. You know, like however you want to, or I could buy the entire NBA All Star Team ETF. Right. Like theoretically, you could put that all together. And because you guys are are creating a market price that I'm guessing, you know, there's got to be some transparency in how you do it, and especially specifically in the earnings. Then you're basically allowing them to speculate on a group at once. That's uh, and that takes a lot of cognitive burden off. Right. Like if I got to go find who the starting corner or safety is on, you know, my favorite college team that, right. you know, maybe the other guy, like that's going to be, you know, manage that on a daily basis a bit much. Or like baseball, who's pitching tonight? Like now you oh, have to, geez. right. Like now you have to go look that up. Every oh. day. 
or uh, football players get hurt all the time. Basketball, a lot yep. of late scratches. Like that's exactly it. Like let's make it a little bit easier because you as a fan, we don't want to say you are a fan of this, or you have to be a fan of this, where this is a player. I don't know. You might just be a fan of a position. Like for all we know, I don't know. Maybe you played point guard in college. So like your thing is you just watch point guards. I don't know. That's you. That's, that's kind of what you do, but we, you know, we want to enable you to, to enjoy sports that way. And, and to that point, that's part of why we operate this long-term market. We don't want it to be like, all right, well, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. And now you're just kind of dialed into that one game, or maybe you put money on that team. And now, now that team's quarterback is hurt. So they have just no shot. And so now you no longer care. We want you to be able to kind of play your way, right? You're dialed into this team or this player because they're on your fantasy team this year, maybe because they went to your college and you just want their whole career to do well. Just however you want it to be, we want to support that. And the interesting thing about that is traditional fantasy, you can't necessarily get access to the players you want, right? Whereas here, you could construct whatever team you want. You just got to be willing to pay the price to get them all on your team. Exactly. And that was another part of the reason we we kind of started this in this way. So I notoriously have terrible luck in fantasy where my first round picks always get hurt. Always. It's just every league. It's, it's mostly my football leagues, not as much basketball, but football just all the time. Every year, every league, it, I'm used to it. And it's become kind of a running joke. And the whole thing is like my fantasy season kind of end. It ends kind of early. It's like, well, my first three picks got hurt. I guess yeah. I don't care anymore. Who's on the waiver wire? Cause that's yep. pretty much all you're left with. Right. And it's of course in a 12 team league, that's not very helpful. So it's like, all right, well now what? Whereas <laughs> if, if you've invested in, in some player and either they got hurt or they're just not doing well, just move that money to someone else. Or maybe you think they're going to pick it up the second half of the season. I don't know, but like stay engaged as long as you want to. And as long as you possibly can. I guess career ending injuries or retirement all equal bankruptcy for that, for that stock. Right. So that goes to zero at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So tell me about how you monetize then. So we take transaction fees, try and be really simple, really open, open with that. Um, of course, there's a bunch of other ways that you can monetize kind of businesses at this point. Some that will kind of happen in the long term is starting to use some of the data. I wanted mm-hmm. some of that data to help our users. So like, imagine you are in Toronto, right? And I don't know, 80% of your portfolio is Knicks. So now I tell you, hey, the Raptors are coming to town in a week. Reminder, you should buy that ticket. Or yeah. Knicks are in town, rather. You're in Toronto, rather. So the Knicks are in town tonight. Yeah. The arena's not full. That ticket's 30% off here. Just start doing things like that that are more interesting for people. Or starting to go to athletes and say, hey, here's your 10 biggest fans. Just send them a jersey. Send them the sneakers. I don't know, set up a Zoom call, send them like an automated voice message, whatever it is, but start engaging. Let's start really bridging that gap between fans and and athletes. I think a lot of this, a lot of what we do in sports and as fans feels a little archaic and a little bit removed from the level of access that the social media gives us, that technology gives us, or just like the intelligence it gives us. So let's, let's kind of, let's, let's bring that to the future. Well, I have to digest there because I'm thinking about like, there's also like other events, say charity events, whatever that teams will, will basically sponsor. And, you know, that's another way to drive ticket sales and whatnot. And, and, you know, back to your point on how archaic this is, you know, I've seen some other platforms try to create that connection between athlete and player. Right. But the question becomes like, I think we're come, where's the motivation on both sides. Like I remember one was like, Oh, I'm just going to like give them like a pound for like getting a great goal. It's like, okay, you're doing that. And there's like athletes on the other side, like, great. I got all these guys like basically just 
you know, saying good, good goal. Congratulations. Sit this is on Twitter, right? Like I think yep. we well, are right. I think when, when you can actually start to like articulate the level of commitment and then potentially not through social media like that, but give them an opportunity to, to market themselves through those people, whether it be, you know, limited edition sneakers or an event they're going to any number of things. There's yeah, there's quite, you get the scale. There's quite a number of monetization opportunities that bridge that gap and help create that relationship. I mean, that's exactly what we want. Like what would be cooler than if your favorite athlete had a quarterly shareholder meeting and you got to go, (laughs) right? What if you got to ask LeBron or Steph, like the question, I don't know. And it, it, or just even just like, let them know you exist in a a really weird, like kind of way, just like a big thing (laughs) about this whole athlete and broad celebrity culture is people don't even know us as fans are there. What if you could talk to them and have something real? Like that's a memory you're going to have forever. Yeah. I mean, like you got stuff like, you know, you look at the cameos of the world where you can pay for a short message. Right. And that I'm sure. And a lot of those things are like stories are like, oh, this kid's sick or this kid's had this terrible thing happen to him. Right. Like those types of things make people very happy to donate their time or even waive their fee. But we think about that kind of connection with top supporters in some ways. To, and let's just also be frank about this. Like athletic lives are short in most cases. Very few of them convert them into marketable brands that can be carried on after they retire, right? So probably one of the greatest showmen in football history of Deion Sanders. Like you knew that guy was going to get like, he was going to be on television when this was done, no matter what, because he had positioned himself in such a manner that he was the game. Like that was it, right? And, and there's very few players, like there's the upper echelon players who are like, hey, you're that good. You'll, we're going to offer you broadcast no matter what, because everybody knows who you are. But there's very few that actually get to that level of like their the brand recognition. And you think about this as a mechanism for them to extend the relevance of their career beyond just their career. It's it's pretty substantial. Definitely. And like you said, extend your career or even just monetize the further monetize the short career you have. I mean, football is notorious for that. In the average career life. point two years, something like just. Yeah, exactly. Super low running backs, even like starting running backs average like five years. I mean, you just, you physically can't do it at some point, right? Unless you're Barry Sanders never got hit in your life. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And you just walk away from the game. (laughs) But everybody else goes, everybody, everybody else crawls away from it. That's for sure. Yep. What about bringing up some of these sports that don't really have brands like that? And there's tons of success stories these days about uh, Formula One and how Liberty Media has really turned that around from kind of this proper whatever you want to call it to now they really embrace social media and personalities and things like that there's tons of series all kinds of stuff yeah yeah right there's a netflix series they they have an app and they they just do a ton and there's tons of sports out there like that where there's these incredible athletes who are playing these immense global games but people don't really know who the athletes are i mean Mm -hmm. even soccer or global football right there's these larger than life athletes that are still so detached from, from fans in many ways. Yep. Maybe they don't have social profiles or anything like that. I mean, like that's a choice you want to be, you want to be insulated like that by all means, like that's yeah. your life. No one's going to judge you for that. But if you want to take the opposite stance, then absolutely. There's an opportunity for that. Definitely. And that's something. So we're starting to work on partnering with athletes to actually make all of this happen. And a big thing that we've told all the athletes is, look, we want you to do whatever you, you want to do. Like if you're the the athlete who's like, I want to show everyone what my house looks like. And like, I don't know if you remember MTV Cribs or if anyone listens. I I also remember Chappelle's knockoff of Cribs, which is. Yep. (laughs) If you want to bring back MTV Cribs, like through prediction strike, please do it. But if you're the person who's like, no, absolutely not. I will do scripted questions and that's it, but I will do it. 
then let's do it. Like be you. It's also going to come out weird if you are trying to do something you don't. If you are the quiet person who doesn't like to talk, you start <laughs> trying to give a house tour. <laughs> We're all going to know it's not you. <laughs> so just just be real and, yeah. and embrace who you are, but show who you are. It's also better than the like current paradigm of let's just inundate them with questions after a game when they're either a when they're a exhausted or b exhausted and pissed off because something went wrong. It's like, and then what do you expect? It's like, yeah, we played hard. Got to thank God. Played hard. Yeah team it's just like same questions after every game is it any surprise that they look bored and i always want and and like you said they're either exhausted or exhausted and pissed off and people want want them to come with this super like next level calculus about like how the game went and they're like you know they they basically i haven't watched the video yet like are you kidding me (laughs) right i haven't even processed this i just got out of the shower you know and (laughs) (laughs) or sometimes they haven't even gotten the shower they're on the field Like, it's just, it's a lot. Like, let's, let's yeah. who they are as people also. I mean, they're more than just robots to, to give you a play-by-play of the game. There's plenty, plenty of, and plenty of people who get paid to uh, get interviewed about how games go. Yep. So you guys are just doing what, NFL, NBA right now? NFL, NBA, UFC right now, which has been really exciting. We launched UFC earlier, or I guess at the end of last month. So that's been really exciting. And then... The next phase is going to be, of course, just expanding in sports. We have baseball on the way. We'll get that out for their next season, which it sounds like there, there's already some, some moves being made kind of on, uh, in terms of trades and things like that. So we'll get baseball out for that. And then global soccer or global football, rather, ahead of the World Cup, which is in the fall next year, like fall, winter. Well, it's either that or you can't hold it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, John Oliver said it's like they're trying to hold the Super Bowl in the bottom of a lake. You can't physically <laughs> play soccer in Qatar. At the Even Brazil was a stretch. I, was that 2014? Uh, I remember yeah. they were showing some of the the like, and also it happened to be during Ramadan that year. So there were a, a number uh, of who couldn't even drink water during the game. A whole to do. So <laughs> I'm glad they learned something and are doing this in the the fall winter next year. But we'll be launching ahead of that. So really excited for that. I mean, that's about as big as sports gets. And as so a Canadian, I have to ask about hockey. Not that I'm going to play it, but just the less, you know. <laughs> You're right. legally yeah. obligated. No, definitely fair. Yeah. So baseball and soccer slash football are definitely our first priorities. But hockey starts around, um, around, it seems like hockey kind of shoots that gap pretty well between when they're, when we're planning on launching both. So, no right. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on how things go, um, hockey is softly, um, kind of on the table, but we're not hard committed to it yet. No. Well, other ones have bigger markets, so I don't blame you, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think the most compelling thing will be to catch up with you a couple of years and see, again, academics are going to be very curious to see how market dynamics play out in this. And I can see a number of papers just <laughs> being written off of, off of just the behavior patterns seen in, in terms of just valuation and market clearing that what you guys are doing. So it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fun. We're yeah. already having fun and we're nowhere near the scale we plan to be. So like you said, a couple of years, we're going to we have some real interesting things. It's going to be funny to look back and say, like, especially as we're old enough that we can look at players' careers kind of in totality to say, oh, that was a big turning point. Or remember, he got traded here and then it was all uphill or all downhill from there. And like and actually compare that to the stock price. And maybe it's even like, oh, he got traded here. It was all downhill. But there was a month where we thought he was going to turn it around <laughs> and the stock, you know, it's, and we're gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how that looks. Oh, you look at where like 
DraftKings and FanDuel got to like off daily uh, off, the, off daily basic um, fantasy. And think about this as a more I'd say it's a more dynamic approach to how you would basically do that as opposed to especially with football. It's like everything's on Sunday, right? Everything's on Sunday. Yeah, one day we well a couple of days, other days of the week. But you think about the ability for you could trade off news or speculation. Oh, you know, is this person going to start? Is this person got an injury? Is this person coming back from injury? That's going to drive moves throughout the we week. We see so. a lot of that. The off seasons, specifically trades, are some of our most busy times. Usually, it's there's a lot of trading at, in the off season, and then unfortunately, some of the training camp injuries, especially on the football side, a superstar always gets hurt. That's those are some of our most active trading days, even though season's not going. So, and so what happens? So the, there, you have no earnest reports at those points. So what happens there? Are you not so much paying market clearers, market maker? There is, hey, the price ended there at the at the end of the year, and then letting it free float until the earnings start, or how does that work? So it'll just move based on supply and demand. Sure, so based on there. if more users are trying to buy or sell. So we kind of are only acting as the the market maker in that in that standpoint, and um, just representing what is the perceived demand for for this athlete. Excellent. Well, that was the last question I have for you because I was uh, everything else was well thought out. It's, it's fascinating. I'll be curious to see where this goes a couple of years. So, before we wrap up, three questions to make you think. All right. Uh, first one is if you could change, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or in the industry as a whole, what would it be? My company or industry as a whole. Oh, I like that. Thumps everyone. So, I would ask you first. That's, <laughs> that's a great one. I think as an industry, this is slightly specific within the, the real money kind of sports space. I think one of the things we need to do is just kind of is just make it easier for these companies to get started. And one of the interesting things that, that I learned, so in the States, we're not, we're not kind of straight gambling, like a casino would be or something like that. One of the things I learned is it takes almost $200 million to go through all the licensing. If you want to operate like an online sports book. Well, so if you are logic on that, on that barrier to entry, like that, that is right? it's just each state has their own separate uh, licensing fee that they have them. Yep. And so if you are, you know, I don't know, 20, 20, 20 year olds coming out of college or whatever, whatever it is, or in college trying to start your startup, you're like, I have the new way to bet on sports. This is it. I'm going to start, or maybe I have the sports book that can be so fast, so intelligent. It's only going to take me $200 million to get started. It's like, really? You know, I, I think for, for all the, right. For all the, all the good that exists in tech and all the ease of starting companies is still very difficult specifically just costly. It's the same level of difficulty to build the technology was incredibly expensive and no one's ever going to be able to do that. Most investors are not going to back you with that right off. So I wish that would change. I think we'd see some more competition and some more innovation in the space if that happened. No, it only favors very, very large players that have things work that way. So yes, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, that is a staggering number. My goodness. The second question is what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? I think the biggest challenge for us has been the fact that we were doing something new. If we were making just a sports book, right? It was like, hey, you can bet on who's going to win this game from your phone. He'd be like, okay, that makes sense. People know what that is. People have bookies and things like that. When you start seeing sports stock market, people are like, okay, you have my interest, but not my understanding. And so the hardest thing for us is to, one, create something that works and feels intuitive, and two, create something that is so intuitive that I can explain it to you either in a couple lines on a website, a couple line email, a couple sentences if I just run into you on the street, something like that, that you're like, okay, get it. I want to do it. And it's something I will put money into. 
because you know if it were free everyone just be like okay i you know I'll try it. It's free. Well, you know, what's the worst that can happen is nothing. Overcoming that trust barrier to put a credit card down for something you don't fully understand. That is the key challenge. I think, I mean, that's it. You know, look at the key differentiators between the way this operates versus other sports betting. And right. You have the simple example, more often than not, they tend to be draft based, right? So there's no limit on, there's no budget, right? It's just, can you get a hold of this guy? If you can get a hold of that guy in the draft or a trade or on the waivers, then he's yours. And then it becomes, then it just becomes horse trading, right? Like I want to trade this person. So there is no actual, it's, it's kind of almost like the to some degree, it's the difference between North American and European sports. North American, we trade players. Europe, they just sell them, right? And then money, you know, everything gets translated back to dollars. Whereas here, it's like, if you're willing to put the money in, you can have whatever draft team you ever want, regardless of who else is playing the game. Yes, right? yes. And that's that's a key differentiator, right? Whereas before, it was fantasy was based largely on scarcity within the pool of people you were dealing with. Here, you have true market mechanism that allows you abundance of whoever it is you want. No, not, I mean, that's exactly it. Right. And I think that's, I think that's more akin to how fans see sports, right? I can be a, a little bit of a fan of, of LeBron, of Steph, of all of the Miami, I don't know, you know, whoever, right. Of all of the Toronto Rivers. I can like, my fandom is not, it's not just a one singular thing that has to go somewhere or go into these 12 pieces like fantasy does. I'm just a fan of what I'm a fan of. And that's how it works. Well, it's also like a little bit, it also introduces dynamic, almost like legitimately being a team owner, right? Like you're going to put money in there, but the question becomes like, there is a point at which what I pay for LeBron versus the earnings yield off him becomes not as good as if I paid less for someone else. So I think it's a lot of times it's, it's, you know, it's money balling the entire thing to some degree, right? It's if the goal is wins and, you know, in sports and how do you do that? Well, in here, the goal is, is growth and earnings yield, right? So it's not just, so part of it is what people think the person is going to be worth. Part of it's going to be their performance. How do you split that? Right. So, you know, when you're, if you're, if you were a fortune, this is the kind of owner, no one likes, it's the guy who thinks about the value of his players in monetary terms. If you, if you're that, if you can do that, then you'll do well here. Yep. Yep. The last part of it is, is what last question I have is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you get up in the morning every day to keep on fighting the good fight. Definitely the users. And that is such a super easy answer and kind of boring, but when you work in consumer, you have a constant feedback loop of do people actually like what you're working on or not? Are people signing up? Are people depositing? Are people trading? Are people saying positive things to you on social media? Are people yelling at you on social media and it's also the internet. So people are just always mad. So that's been an interesting like, adjustment thing. <laughs> How but, many unfounded accusations have been thrown your way? <laughs> uh, you have no idea. Oh, uh, um, it, people, <laughs> the internet is this remarkable place of, and I, I don't have a large social media presence or anything. I'm, I exist, but I don't have tons of followers or anything. So I don't really get that. I'm like a celebrity might or something. Now that we have this company, people will just be like, just say thanks. I'm like, how is yep. this? What? Well, no. <laughs> so that has been a big learning process. But for all of that, on the other side of it, there is a lot of just, of course, great people. And the, these, those are usually the people who are not um, hiding behind a weird screen name. And they will be like, hey, I really like what you're doing. Or I like what you're doing. Have you thought about changing this? I don't really get how this works. Whatever it is, but it's like that constant feedback loop always makes it like, okay, we have something we can work on. And also there's people who like what we're working on. Let's just keep pushing. And so that's the big thing every day. And it, it always, it keeps all of us going. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, very few trolls are non-anonymous. So let's say that much, but yep. <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. Anyway, so Devin, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Uh, I encourage anyone who's interested in sports uh, betting to take a look. This is definitely a different approach. And I think one that is, um, I don't know, I think, I think you got legs. So I uh, hope it works out for you, man. Thank you, Jason. It's been great to be here and thank you all for listening. So that was Devin Hurt of Prediction Strike. I hope you enjoyed that. And like I said, if you are into sports betting, I hope you take a look at it. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.